listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. They're inside the final furlong, and Wise Dan just draws away. Bodine now retakes second from Thunder Highway and Mo Millions. Wise Dan wins by 12, maybe 15. Brandon Jaggers. And Johnny Velasquez gives the green light to Wise Dan, and his response is instantaneous. And me, CC Broadus. It is Wise Dan coming down to the wire clear from Optimizer in second. The horse of the year shows him why. Wise Dan and Jose Lescano did it. Welcome back to episode number 93 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm CC Broadus, and I'm joined by Alan Schneider. Alan, how are you doing? Hey, brother. I'm great. I'd be a lot, a lot better. I know UV2 had Cincinnati hung on to that game the other night on Sunday night, but outside of that, I'm in, I'm in really good shape. Better question is, how are you doing after that? I am no good. That was a oh. sad state of affairs that night. I was in agony during that whole second half, drive after drive after drive and we couldn't make up any ground and yeah it was yeah even though we were ahead three points all of that uh fourth quarter it just felt it felt ominous ominous and, is a good word and, yeah and then uh, here comes here comes the rams late but uh brandon jagger is not with us this evening i don't know what he's doing but uh uh, my question to you before we kick off the proceedings here is uh, what were your thoughts on the halftime show? Oh, uh, you know, I, I think people went overboard in their praise of it. I had no problem with it. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's really my type of music, although I do like in the club uh, because I, I kind of have a, yeah, a bit of a kinsmanship with 50 Cent because like him, I've been shot nine times and I don't walk with a limp. Uh, but outside of that, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty well done. I think it'd been better had it, uh, been at night. I think it's one of the problems being in California is, you know, uh, it's still light outside, right? So I'm sure it was probably looked a lot cooler had it been at night. That's not their, that's no one's fault. It's just, it's on the West Coast, but, uh, people might went a little bit overboard in their praise. Uh, but I thought it was fine. I didn't, I didn't have any problem with it. That's something that just, gets me to my core is when immediately following any halftime show. Uh, yes. This was the greatest halftime show ever. Or it's the Immedi- worst halftime show ever. Yeah. Immediately <laughs> offset by the people that think it was the worst halftime show ever. People have to make their voices known in social media, right? You just, you have to have an opinion. Sometimes it's like, you know what? It was fine. It was fine. Or I, it was, it wasn't that good. You know, everything has to be so, uh, you know, it has to be one extreme or the other. Correct. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't care. I look. Amanda went nuts. I mean, she was banging her head. I think she got whiplash during the process. She loved it, but I mean, I'm like, I'm over suffering. Though. You know, we're we're down three at halftime. That's all I'm worried about. Let's get let's get the team out here and so we can win this thing. I, I tell you something that's funny about about the praise or the criticism of the halftime shows is I don't know how you can actually have a serious gauge one way or the other sitting in your living room right 
because these are spectacles. They're, they're actually putting forth spectacles. And unless you're there in person and getting every and soaking everything up in a panoramic sense, you're not going to get the whole aspect of it anyway, right? The, the sound, the dancing, the, the the choreography. You know what I'm, I'm saying? So right. it, react or underreact, depending on the situation. Sometimes it's just fine to say, "Hey, that was that was okay. That wasn't that great," you know. But you know, we're in in an age of absoluteness, so it was fine. That, that's exactly right. Do you have any memorable halftime shows? Oh man, uh, there's Katy Perry's Left Shark. Remember the Left Shark with Katy Perry? Yeah, that's that was, right. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And uh, you know, I remember. You know, I'm a, a, a Prince. A, Prince was good. You know, uh, I'm a rock guy, so I remember thinking the Rolling Stones was pretty cool. But I guess Up with People and Hands Across America from back in the day that that really rocked the house. Uh, the one that's memorable, I think, most to me is the one uh, the after nine eleven. I think it was U two. I'm not a big U two fan, but I always thought that was pretty. Uh, that was a nice tribute. Uh, if you remember that, I, I do remember that. It's been twenty twenty one years ago. Like I said, I'm not a U two fan, but I do that. That was memorable for sure. I'm just. I remember when the Rolling Stones was on, and I just glad that uh, Keith Richards did not have a a wardrobe malfunction. Right? You know. We have a tendency probably to forget about Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake, right? You remember that still, one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Her uh, mommy parts spilled out on the, spa- yeah. on the stage, maybe? Or, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Keith Richards is still alive. Yes, he is. And the, the, the Rolling Stones were going to be here in Louisville last year, but they canceled it because of COVID. Yeah. And if you've never seen the Rolling Stones, you're missing out. I mean, I, I can't speak what it's going to be like now, but two of the greatest concerts I've seen in my life are the Rolling Stones at Cardinal Stadium in 88 and the Rolling Stones at Churchill Downs, of all places. Uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. The Rolling Stones were amazing in concert. That's so, true. Yeah. I, uh, I saw them at Churchill. I saw the Rolling Stones at Churchill. That was pretty cool. Yep. And I, I'm not a big fan of the Rolling Stones either, but, I mean, that was a, that was a cool concert. My brother and I uh, went under the turf track, under the turf uh, and the dirt track, and got up right up right uh, right up on the stage uh, with Mick and the boys. They had all their makeup on, and Keith Richards looks just as rough in person from eight feet away as you as you think he would but they still rock the house outstanding all right so we got a big uh weekend at the fairgrounds coming up saturday a big one of those mega cards that's going to include the risen star the rachel alexandra the mine shaft and of course our friend michelle lovell returns just might to running the one hundred thousand dollar colonel power stakes five and a half on the turf Maybe, maybe this is a prep for the Alquaz at, uh, at, in, in Dubai at Maidan, possibly. Uh, before yeah. that, there's the return of the highly touted two, three-year-old from the Dallas Stewart Barn, Vinko, who runs in a mile and 16th maiden special weight. He'll probably be two to five, three to five, something like that. I don't know. That race is loaded. That race, there's a lot of good yeah, horses in the race. Everybody in the world saw that, uh, that horse right. rally. To finish second yeah. last time, that horse is uh, figuring out things. But you're right that that race is uh, interesting. Uh, any opinions on that card, especially the Risen Star Stakes? Uh, well, first off, it's be nice to just Mike get his vengeance uh, after. I mean, the horse actually aired last time and got taken down in an rough DQ. Was tons of the best. So we obviously we always want to see Michelle win, but we like to see just Mike get his uh, vengeance. And as far as opinions go, I'll give you one opinion aside from the Risen Star real quick. Uh, the, the new guy they have down there, you know, Joe Krispeck does a great job down there, but Kev, he, he brought in Kevin Kilroy, who I've got to see a few times as their, uh, as a, 
a kind of a co-host analyst. I think he does a really good job. Uh, and I'm picky, as you know, I'm picky with my analysts. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have much common ground. I mean, middle ground with me. I like you. I don't. I think Kevin Kilroy does a good job. Of course, Chris Defect does as well. Uh, in the Risen Star, uh, you know, I think it's a pretty good race. Call Me Midnight's in there. I was high on Call Me Midnight last time, and he got up in the shadow of the wire. I know they're going to wait for the next one. I think they're waiting for the Louisiana Derby. Um, and this one, I, I, I've got to give Epicenter better, better. I thought Epicenter ran much better than people give him credit for. If he's able to get out on the lead this time, and, you know, th- there were some swift internal fractions in the LeCompte, so I expect a better ep- from Epicenter off the bench. But that said, Smile Happy is coming out of the, of the prep race, uh, or I should say the derby prep of the, of the meet of the season so far in the jockey club last year. Everybody's come back to run well out of that. So I'm anxious to see Smile Happy. I think the Doug O'Neill horse is going to be really tough on the outside. So, I mean, that's not narrowing things down much. I just think it's going to be a really good race. Do, do you have any strong opinion? No, I was going to bet slow down Andy in this last future pool for the derby. I usually don't bet that, but, uh, this horse is, intriguing a little bit just because it's uh o'neill's kind of taking the same route he did with hot rod charlie right. last year but he, he hot rod charlie didn't run in this race he ran in the louisiana derby but uh you know he, he's shipping slow down slow down andy east i'm sure to avoid the baffert train baffert's won just about every derby prep in california thus far but i'm interested in seeing what this can horse can do i'm also interested in zandon i think a horse has only run twice and he's already uh uh, he was a uh, runner-up in the uh, the Remsen. Ugh, the Remsen. Oh, oh. I know, I know, but that was the <laughs> second start. That was the second start, so he's got a lot of improvement ahead of him. Uh, but Smile Happy uh, is very interesting as well. Like you said, he, he comes out of the uh, most definitive prep race probably of, of last year in the uh, Kentucky Jockey Club as uh, another winner comes out of that race, and he won the Sam Davis Last weekend at Tampa, and that was Classic Causeway. Right. Brian Lynch, uh, does Classic Causeway match, uh, does he have a, he got a look at the, uh, some of the, uh, Triple Crown races? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just kind of, I didn't think that was a great race. The Sam Davis wasn't great, but I like the way the horse did it. Everybody thought there was going to be a lot of speed, right? He just breaks on top and just had, I thought he had pretty solid cruising speed. You know, I don't think the horse has ever really threatened. For anybody to pass him, I thought it was a fairly comfortable win. I, I, I upgrade the horse a little bit in my mind off that effort. But back to that jockey club, that jockey club had White Obario, who won the Holy Bull, right? It had, uh, Call Me Midnight, who won the LeCompte. And of course, we're going to see what Smile Happy does. And you, you toss in, uh, the aforementioned Classic Causeway. That's, yeah, that, that, that was a better race than even we thought it was, uh, last November, right? Howling Time was in there too. He was a stakes winner prior to that race before he finished off the board and then he, he scratched in the Sam Davis. So I don't know what we're going to, when we're going to see him next, but that was uh yeah, classic Causeway is the horse that's on my radar. Uh, he ran a monster number at Saratoga and yeah. then, then got back to that number in the Kentucky Jockey Club. And I'm, I'm guessing he probably maybe improved in the Sam Davis. So I mean, that would put him in the right, right in the mix of things. I, I thought I thought the horse looked good. Sometimes sometimes you have to trust your eyes, and I thought the horse uh, looked good when when in the Sam Davis. You know, I thought I thought he looked kind of a, a visually. I thought it was a visually impressive race. Uh, to borrow a overused horse player cliche, which generally I don't care for, but I did think he looked visually impressive in that race. 
So we're talking about a lot of horses with potential. Now we're going to have uh, our guest on who is the trainer of a horse that uh, realized all of his potential uh, in, in the form of a uh, horse of the year, Wise Dan. And that, of course, is Charlie Lepresti. And Alan's going to introduce him right now. Yeah, uh, you know, CC, I dream of retiring in the near future. Uh, but you can rest assured I will not be retiring on top like our next special guest did last April. This former trainer, simply put, is a Kentucky legend. As his top runners, here comes Ben, Turiller, and successful Dan would certainly bear out the fact. But it was a certain chestnut super horse he trained named Wise Dan that shot Charlie Lepresti to the pinnacle of thoroughbred racing over and over and over. And tonight, I can tell you we are honored to have Mr. Lepresti join us to talk about all things Wise Dan and more, because he had other horses too. So with no further ado, Mr. Lepresti, thank you for joining us, and how are you doing this evening? Well, I'm doing pretty good, and I'm awful flattered uh, that you guys have me on your podcast tonight. Uh, it, it makes me feel pretty good to talk about those horses, uh, mostly about the horses, not about me. Well, we're gonna we might we might touch on both angles uh, here tonight because uh, you you made the horses, and I guess I should give a quick shout out to to Buff Bradley who gave who put us in contact with you. So Buff's been on our podcast for just a wonderful gentleman, wonderful wonderful trainer. So thanks. Uh, I want to thank Buff for uh, hooking us up. Um, but you know, first things first, you're retired, and uh, how's life been treating you post retirement? Because I know the other day when you and I first spoke on the phone. Uh, you were busy as heck tending to your farm in nine degree weather, folks. Nine degree weather. He was out there all morning in nine degree weather. So, sounds to me like uh, sounds to me like retirement's going pretty well so far. Yeah, it's it's going really well. Uh, we still break a lot of horses. I say a lot of horses, not as many as we used to, but we break yearlings for people. Uh, we keep some layups here at the farm. Uh, we got a herd of Angus cattle. Um, Got uh, quarter horses that I use to work, you know, my cows on. Uh, we've got into uh, bird hunting. We got bird dogs. So, yeah, we, you probably the other day when you would talk to me, I was either rolling hay out for the cows or, or doing something like that. But, uh, you know, when it's that cold, the show has to go on. You got to get out there and you got to take care of the horses. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I remember, I remember we were talking that morning and um, – yeah, it was nine degrees. It was nine degrees, and I was like, would Todd Pletcher or Chad Brown be out doing this type of work in nine-degree weather? I don't think so. That's just one more star in your camp. You must be a hard-working man. Well, I, you know, I, I can tell you about Todd Pletcher. Todd, nobody works harder than Todd Pletcher. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been around Todd for when he worked for Wayne, and, and I tell you, I was really impressed with Todd uh, when I was at Saratoga with Wise Dan uh, you know, I watched that guy every day. He'd have a he'd have an entourage of people following him around, uh, and I don't know how he did it, but he had his binoculars on those horses, and he was watching them intently every day. Uh, and I remember watching Todd when he first started out, and they'd get those horses out on the walking ring and jog them, and he'd pull the bandages off of every one of them and watch them jog down the road. So uh, I'm a big fan of Todd Pledgers. I think he's a great horseman and, and a – and a very, a very, a very good person too. 
You know, that's that's quite a statement coming from yourself. I, you know, I've always been a Pletcher fan myself, and uh, I think a little bit more now coming with that kind of validation from you. So, congratulations, Todd. You got you got Lepresti seal of approval. Um, well, I tell you one thing. This one little story about Todd Pletcher. When oh yeah, we're, we're at the Eclipse Awards, and Wise Dan got his his Eclipse Award. Todd was the first one to come up to me and grab me and hug me and tell me, "Said boy, congratulations. You really deserve that." And I tell you that that mean that meant a lot to me. And I'll tell you something, Wayne Lucas. When I won my first grade one at Saratoga with "Here Comes Ben," Wayne was actually came down to the winner circle and grabbed me and shook my hand and told me congratulations. So when you you have guys like that that do that, uh, tells you what kind of people they are and what kind of you know they're just good people. You know, that's awesome because we hear so many negatives in horse racing these days, and people have their preconceived notions. Of, uh, of the way people are, it really is fantastic to hear that. Uh, I, I, you know, I kind of assumed that those guys were kind of like that, but you know, it also it's, it's just good to know that uh, there's so many good people in the game, and especially at a time when we hear so many negative things, right? Well, yeah, that's you know, that's 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 the worst thing that that's happened to our game is all this negativity. And uh, you know, I mean. It shouldn't be, you know, it, it, it just should be. It's just like what poor Bob Baffin, I just feel, I mean, maybe he made some mistakes, but God darn, they're trying to crucify him. And then it makes people that don't understand the game think that he really is a terrible, terrible cheater. And, uh, you know, it just, I don't know, I, you know, it just, it, it, it really, it really bothers me that way people start perceiving uh, the way our business is and the way, the way, way, way the whole thing is. Well, I hope you're not on Twitter because that's where a lot of it comes from and stuff. So, uh, but I don't think you are, right? You're not. A, you're not on. You're too busy. You're too busy outside to be on Twitter, well, I right? Yeah, I've never. I, I've never done much of that stuff. I mean, people would say, "Oh, they said something about Wise Dan here." Or something. You know, I just never paid any attention to that stuff. I figured the less I knew, the better off I was. You're a smart man, Mr. Lepresti. <laughs> so let me ask you, do, do you miss training? I mean, I know it's only been a year. Do you, do you miss the, the ins and outs, the race days, or is, are you just happy with what you're doing at the moment? I'm happy with what I'm doing. I'm really happy with what I'm doing. I miss the horses. I miss the, I miss the lure of a young horse, bringing a young horse along and, and hoping that he turns out to be something. Uh, you know, that's one thing that I probably am a lot different than most trainers. Uh, the most, all the horses, that, all the good horses that I had, I broke them as yearlings and I brought them to the track. They'd never been to a racetrack before and, and I developed them myself. And you just don't see that nowadays. Yeah. You know, nowadays everybody, you know, the, the mega guys, they just want the horses breezing a half a mile and, and, and the cream rises to the top. You know, they got so many of them. I was never, I, I never wanted to be that kind of trainer, you know, not that I'm saying anything against them. It's just the way I did things. I, I broke them here at the farm. I took them there, brought them out there for the first time. And, and, you know, it took a long time to get some of the horses that I got. And I'm really proud of what we did with like wise Dan and successful Dan. And here comes Ben Turlow, all those horses that we're talking about are horses that I broke. I brought to the racetrack. I educated them, and sure, it took a long time to get them there, but there's a lot of satisfaction to that. And nowadays, it's hard to – owners don't want that. They want – you know, they want to be in the numbers barn, and, mm-hmm. and they want action right away. 
uh, yeah, well, you know, they're not on our podcast either, right? Because we invited you because we, we admire the work you do. Not to say that we won't have those guys on at some point, but, uh, yeah, we, we admire the, the work you've done. Uh, I know we're not alone either. Uh, but it's with amazing things so far is I actually waited seven minutes before I asked you about the big horse. And it's time to get into the big horse, if that's okay with you, sir. No, you can uh, talk about him. He's easy to talk about. Yeah. You know, now that you've stepped away, you've stepped away for a moment. You've been out of the game, I guess, you know, competitively for a little over a year now. Do, do you, do you, have you had the opportunity to sit back once in a while, rant on the farm or whatever, and just think to yourself, wow, I, I actually trained one of the greatest horses this generation, the several generations have ever seen. Does that, did that ever sink in with you that, that you you were responsible for one of the absolute stars of this sport the last 25, 30 years? Well, you know, honestly, every once in a while when, when I walk down by the barn, I see him in the stall or I see him out there with his brother's successful band, it'll it'll it, it'll it, <laughs> it'll come to me, wow, how in the world could I have ever been lucky to get a horse of that caliber? I mean, I've had some nice horses and some great, great, great stakes winners, but I would have never dreamed to have a horse like that, but but every once in a while, it you know it it hits me again that how in the world could I have ever had a horse like that? Yeah, because it, it, he wasn't a flash in the pan. I mean, the the numbers are mind boggling. I just jotted a few down real quick, and I'm a fan. He's my favorite horse of all time. But even, as as I jotted these down, it, even to me, it, it it's still in my darling. I guess in this in this era of horses run five six times. 31 lifetime starts, 23 lifetime wins. 19 of those were graded stakes wins. Two-time horse of the year. Those 19 graded stakes wins came on three different services, dirt, turf, and synthetic. Uh, two Breeders' Cup mile wins. I mean, I, Stephen Foster. I, didn't he win the Woodbine mile, too? I mean, or maybe I'm, I'm thinking of Twice. Alert. Twice. Twice. Oh, that, no big deal there, right? Um we actually won it three years in a row. We won it with Turler, then came back with Wise Dan two years right after in a row of that. That's crazy to think that I won the Woodbine Mile three years in a row with a small it's, it's crazy. Of 16 horses at that time. It's, it's amazing. So of those 23 wins uh, that I just mentioned, I mean, again, 19 were graded. Is there is there one or two that stick out the most to you, that mean the most to you, or the, the most special, or maybe you didn't think he was going to win? Uh, which one, I guess they all resonate big time with you but is there one or two that just stick out well i tell you there's a whole lot of them that stick out but the one that really the one that really sticks out is you know after his college surgery when he won the bernard baruch uh, mm-hmm. uh you got to think about a horse that maybe i don't know 70 days from that day or whatever the number is was laying on an operating table with his belly opened up, and who in the world could have ever thought that he'd come back to the level that he came back to? And I mean, yeah. I, I was worried. I, you know, there was a lot of people criticized, you know, oh, I can't believe you're going to try to run him again. But I knew in my heart that that horse was ready to run. I just didn't know if I had, and I told Johnny, I just didn't know if I had him as tight as I needed to have him. I didn't want to press on him too hard, but to, the way he won that race and then he just went north from there again is like, horses just don't do that. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's one of the things that's impressive about Wise Dan. I'm going to add lib here a second. Is there was a couple of times we thought, okay, age is catching up to him. The campaign's caught up to him and he's starting to tail off. Nope. He, he, all of a sudden he turned a corner and he right back up to where at running his A game, right? Uh, I mean, he did year after year. Uh, that's yeah. a that's a testament to your horsemanship. Well, 
I I appreciate that, but he was just a he he just was he. It's like Johnny used to tell me all the time. I'd get to paddock with him, and now I'd be worried about the track condition, or I was worried about the post position. He'd say, "Don't worry, he knows how to win." Yeah. Uh, he, he just, I mean, John Velasquez. I mean, he said it time and time again. It's the best horse he's ever ridden, and look at the horses that that guy's been on in his life. I mean, all yeah. Jockey. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, we've talked about it on this show a lot because this is a Kentucky podcast. So I know Cece does, and I vividly remember when Wise Dan was not really Wise Dan yet. He had just broken his maiden in a second career start at Turfway Park on, I think it was the, uh, after their big race, the Jim Beam, the Spiral, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, exactly. That's the day he broke his maiden. We ran him three weeks, I guess, before that, and I was really excited about running him. And I told Mr. Fink, this may be the best horse that I've ever had my hands on. And and he used to do things in the morning that were crazy. And and he got beat. He actually got beat. Yeah. Fink was like, oh, shoot, Charlie, you know, we I own Wiseman's Ferry, and we broke a bunch of those. He can't be that good because after coming off of what successful Dan had done and I said, Mr. Fink, he, I'm telling you, just give him one more chance. And, hey, he broke his baden by, I forget how many lengths. Fifteen. Fifteen, 15 yeah. lengths. Yeah. And uh, amazing. Yeah, and he yeah, went way back into the Breeders' Cup. He got hurt, and then we ran him in the, oh, what's that, the Phoenix. Uh, yeah. Everybody thought I was crazy running him in the Phoenix. I said, man, the way this horse is training, the way he's doing, they won't beat him. And he won the Phoenix, and he won his. He, he earned his uh, spot in the British Cup Sprint, and he didn't get Amazing. that far in the British Cup Sprint that year. Maybe three and a half lengths, if I'm right. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you know that actually kind of steals my thunder a little bit there, because like after that maiden win, we all had our eyes open a little bit, but still, it's Turfway Park, you know, and Turfway's fine. Uh, so it, it raises the eyebrows. And I'm sure you thought you had a good horse at that point. But did you think you had that kind of racehorse after that maiden win? Did you think you had a generational horse? Well, I don't know about that, but I knew I, I knew he was pretty special. I mean, he used to – I mean, the first time I worked that horse from the gate at Keeneland, he went like 58-1 from the gate. I was like, holy crap, and he didn't even look like he was running. It's uh, You know, I go back to all his victories – He's had a lot of iconic victories, but the one that one that really resonates with me, and I'm sure you remember this, was a it was a night racing at Churchill Downs. I think it was the Firecracker. Oh yeah, and it was pouring <laughs> pouring down rain that day. But then, of course, they rarely run. You know, if it's rain on the turf, they usually come off. But they kept that race on. He was a prohibitive favorite. I think it was either Lascano or Velasquez on him, and there was Velasquez. no rush. Velasquez, and he shot through on the rail. I know he had to tear the side of his body up because he was on the hedge. And it, it, he wins the race after getting through, and the photo from that becomes an iconic photo. I know it was a screensaver for me for a long time because the, the rain's coming sideways, and it's just one of the coolest pictures ever. It became one of the most iconic iconic photos in racing history. Do, do you have a copy of that anywhere? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't, but Brian Hernandez's wife took that photo. Jamie Hernandez. She did? Yep. Yep. One no. of the clips award for it, Amy just told me, now that I think about it. You need to look that up when we're done here. Because when we, when we post this, we're going to have that picture of Wise Dan. Because I'm going to implore CC to use that picture so you'll, so you'll get to see it. It was a fantastic picture. Um, and as we're talking about Wise Dan, I would be remiss if we, and now you alluded to it earlier, if we didn't mention his owner who passed away last year, Morton Fink. You want to speak a little bit about Mr. Fink? Yeah. 
you tell you what, guys like, well, I've been very fortunate, and I can tell you, I don't have to tell you about the owners that I did have, but guys like Mr. Fink, they're gone. Uh, he was a true sportsman. He loved the race. He loved to watch that horse run, and he never put any pressure on me. Ever once did he ever put any pressure on me, and when I told him it was time to give him the winner off, he let me do that with him. He never, you know, he never tried to push me to go here, or there, or South Florida, or anything with him. Uh, he would, and he take the good with the bad, you know. He just that they don't make him like him anymore. You know, I've had people like him, Bob and Beverly Lewis, uh, the Kleins from Louisville, uh, Bert and Elaine Klein, and their son Richard. I can go mm-hmm. on and on. Mrs. Arnold that had tour lore, uh, Mrs. Chase that here comes Ben. Every one of those owners that I had, they were pure racing people. They never cared about selling yearlings. They didn't go to the sale to sell. Uh, they were just true race fans, and whatever the horse needed, that's what the horse got. Uh, never pushed me to run them where they didn't belong. Uh, they, they would just, uh, you know, it made my job a lot easier. No, I wish we had more owners like that now. It's wonderful to hear you talk about them like that. And what, what did that breed? That bred a lot of success, didn't it, for you, the horse, and them? So it sounds like a winning formula to me. Um, you know, but again, mentioned it earlier, Wise Dan's a generational racehorse, but he's not the only one in your barn as, 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 that you've had successful within your barn. You've already mentioned him, successful Dan. Uh, here comes Ben. We again, Tourler lost the Breeders' Cup mile by a whisker. Uh, yeah, what a heartbreak. And that's what I was going to ask you because. Well, that year, Goldacova had won the Breeders' Cup Mile the past two years. You beat Goldacova that day, but you came up a, a hair short against Court Vision. It was like 70 to 1. Uh, I, I, this is a, kind of a rhetorical question, but how agonizing was that photo? I thought you won. Well, I tell you what, we shot through the tunnel. Amy and I were hugging each other. Nick Nicholson was the president of Keeneland at the time. He grabbed me. He was hugging me. And as I went through the tunnel, and they were showing the slow-mo with the wire. I was like, oh, no. Julian was fist-pumping, galloping out. He thought he won. I thought he Greg, won. Greg Flossy picked him up, and when I watched that slow-mo, I was like, oh, man. I wasn't yeah. sure. And it was a heartbreak. Uh, but, golly, that horse, he had an incredible year. Won the Woodbine Mile. Um yeah, I mean, he got to the Breeders' Cup. I mean, we got beat a whisker. Uh, yeah, it was agonizing, but uh, that's the part of the game that's that you got. <laughs> there's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad sometimes, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't like he ran up the racetrack or didn't show. Yeah. He, he ran. He just he got beat a whisker. And Robbie Alvarado to this day still gives me a hard time about it. I said, <laughs> yeah. I said thanks a lot, Robbie. I said, but one thing about it, you never be wise, Dan. He goes, well, you got that right. You got that right. Um, yeah, because I'm a turtler had the, was the gray, and he had that gray nose down the wire. I initially thought he got there, but uh, but you know the fate is a weird game because you lose the Breeders' Cup Mile there that year. Lo and behold, you own that race a couple of years later, back to back with Wise Dan. So it's a funny game, right? I mean, that just shows you how a game of uh, ups. And I guess it's more of an up and up as opposed to an up and down. But it's just it's kind of who knew at that point what was going to happen, you know? Yeah, they were, you know, my nephew Reeves said it more than once. That was an incredible five years that, you know, to have the run that we had. I mean, we, I can go back. We went to Saratoga, but here comes Ben. He won an A other than at Keeneland. He won a two other than at Churchill. 
He won the Kelly's Landing. I go to Saratoga to run him in the Forgo, and I get up there, and that gone I look at there's an arsenal of horses, Asmussen, Pletcher, blah, 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 and I'm thinking, man, what am I doing here? I just want a listed stake at Saratoga, and here I'm going to win, a, you know, I'm running against in a great one against Big Drama, Vineyard Haven, who they paid <laughs> yeah. like $16 million for or some crazy number like that. I just, once I got there, I thought, man, I'm out of my element. And I never forget Tom Durkin saying, and here comes Ben, and here comes Ben indeed. He wins the grade one forego. I mean, that's the day that Lucas came down to the winner's circle to meet me there and congratulate me. And a friend of mine said the reporters were coming to me, and I looked like a deer in the headlights. I just kept backing up. <laughs> I mean, and it just, it just started from there. And the next, I guess, five, six years, whatever it was, I mean, we were just in the in the in the in the spotlight, and who would have ever thought that that would happen? It just start, you know, him, Turlor, successful Dan, Wise Dan. It was just crazy. It was, it was, it was one heck of a one. It was like a one heck of a run. It didn't seem like it was ever going to end, and it, it kind of brings me to this. And maybe I'm guessing. I wonder if I can guess who you think. Who's your second best horse you've had? We know who the number one guy is. Who would you call your second best when you're the expert? Well, I'm going to tell you who the best one was, and nobody ever believes me, but the best of all of them was successful, Dan. He just wasn't the soundest. I oh, really? You, I can tell you, and I've said, and Julian Le Peru will tell you the same thing. He was the better of the two. Julian rode both of them. The only thing that kept six, why successful, Dan, from winning a Breeders' Cup Classic was his soundness, and he beat them all. Uh, Fort Larned, Bucha Macha Man. He beat every one of those horses. He still owns the track record at uh, Churchill for the Alisheba. But he, every time we got him to a big race, right when he was going to really shine, he had an XYZ problem and a suspensory problem, and we'd have to stop on him. And it took us one time 17 months to get him back to the races. Uh, so, yeah, those that horse, that horse, I'm telling you, he, he, was, a, he was a really, really good horse. And it, I'm not taking anything away from Wise Dan because Wise Dan shined, obviously. But successful Dan probably was every bit as good or better than had that much talent than Wise on, on the dirt, especially. That is gonna that's gonna blow a lot of people's minds. I know it because I remember successful Dan's big time races. I can see it. I can see it. But uh, yeah, a lot of people are gonna be surprised when they hear that. But uh, you know, you're the one that knows. Well, and just, I'm telling you, he he just wasn't sound. I mean. You know, every time I ran him, I, 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 we always worried about him. We never could press on him really hard because he had some issues. And, uh, uh, well, he was a good one. But it's funny to watch him in the paddock and watch him run and play. And Johnny Velasquez was here one day. It's, it's so funny. If that horse could talk, he would, he would, he beats Wise Dan all the time when he run across the big field. And he'd be bragging. If he could talk, he's probably saying, okay, little brother, you got all the clips awards, but let's see what you can do now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, CC, uh, I'm turning over my, to my co-host, CC. I know he's itching to get in here. Go ahead, pal. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going to be all over the place here. I got a lot of questions to ask you about, uh, the, that family tree, that famous family tree of, uh, Wise Dan's. Uh, first of all, Alan, I, you remember Wiseman's Ferry, right? He Oh yeah, he won the, yeah. He won the West Virginia Derby. I didn't realize Mr. Fink owned him. But didn't was it Niall O'Callahan that trained him? 
back yes, in the day. Yes, I believe it was. I believe it was Wiseman. Yeah, now it's now Callahan. Yeah, right. just look, looking at the family tree here. Now I know you trained in Channing Lisa for the same family as well. What type of marriage? She was stakes placed. Uh, you know, just adding to the legacy of that family. But what, what type of um, Philly was enchanting Lisa? She was a nice Philly. Uh, you know, we got her stakes place. I think she was third in that stake at Churchill. Uh, she wasn't the caliber of those two other horses. Uh, but you know, none of them were. I mean, those were the two horses that, that really shine. Um, to think about a mare like that, that, that had those two horses and she's had, you know, quite a few runners beside those two, but none of them, none of them stood up. I mean, we, we were lucky to get black type on enchanting Lisa and that's what we wanted to do. Uh, but, but, but she was a nice filly in her own right. I mean, you know, but she just wasn't that caliber. Yeah. There was back in the day, I always referred to wise Dan as Peyton Manning. Successful Dan was Eli Manning. <laughs> Casino Dan was Cooper man. He he just couldn't quite live up to the to the billing of his uh, of his two older brothers. Actually, two yeah, yeah two older brothers. Yeah, he he was. Uh, what type of ho- uh, horse was he? Paul Casino Dan. He 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 had big shoes to fill. Right. And yeah. I'm telling you, he never was going to fill low shoes. If that lightning only lightning only really strikes once and it struck twice, there's no way it was going to strike three times. Right. Uh, so going back to Wise Dan, do you think he was a better horse on uh, dirt, turf, synthetic? Which which surface do you think really he was best? Because he was a Grade One winner on all three, right? Yeah, he. I tell you what, he probably the. I mean, yeah, I'm, it goes without saying that his, he was the better turf horse, but he could really run on the dirt. I'll tell you. He, I mean, you know, he 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 could he could run on the dirt, but look at what he did on the synthetic. I mean, he won the race up there at Presque Isle. He broke the track record in the Ben Ali at Keeler. when it was when it was synthetic. So back back when Wise Dan was was running and earning all the accolades, there was another horse across the pond by the name of Frankel, who was undefeated. I think they're, of course, I know their paths never did cross, but they, they, I think they were running at the same time. Was there ever any talk of maybe facing off against Frankel at some point? Well, I tell you, they asked us that at the, they asked Mr. Fink that at the Breeders' Cup after he won the Breeders' Cup race. And I was, I was sitting beside Garrett O'Rourke, who's a general manager at, at Judmont and, and Mr. Fink started to say something. I said, be careful now, Mr. Fink, there's somebody standing right beside you. you might be think, thinking a little bit different, but, but I, you know, I never really thought about it. People said that we should have brought him over there and raced against him. And other people said, well, why didn't he come here and race against Wise Dan? It, it'll, it'll never be, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't ever know how it would have turned out there. You know, horses in Europe run different than horses here. Uh, Wise Dan, I mean, he could take his game on the lead and carry it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Horses like Frankel, you know, they plodded along back then and they ran the last quarter of a mile. So I don't know. I don't know how it unfolded. I I tell you what, he'd have to run his eyeballs out to beat Wise Dan in the British Cup when he broke the track record of mile 131 and change. That's flying. Well, that was <laughs> going to be my next question. I think if, if if they were ever pitted against each other, do you think Wise Dan could uh, 
hold his own against the, the, the undefeated horse from Europe? I think he would have gave him a run for his money, I can tell you. I don't know what Frank will ever really beat over there, and it would be unfair for me to say. I don't know how many track records he broke over there. Uh, it's just a whole different ball game, you know, in the, in the running style over there. So different. Like I said, if you watch those races, those horses plot along and then they run the last, the last quarter of a mile is when they really turn it on and they accelerate, you know, so maybe wise Dan out on the front end setting all the fractions and Frankel could have run him down, you know, I don't know, but he would have had to have a run for his money because that's when Wise Dan was his best from the eighth pole to the wire. It's when a lot of times you thought he was going to get beat, then he turned it on. Gosh, I'd like to have seen it though. That would have been awesome. That'd been a, that'd been a great race to see. But, uh, uh, Mr. Lepresti, we, we touched on before we started recording. You would give your horses a break during the winter and then bring them back. Probably March, April, you give your horses a prep late in the, uh, the turfway season or, or at Keeneland, and then they get back to their best. Uh, is it, would that best describe your your philosophy of uh, 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 what you did in the winter? What, what, what would you do normally? Uh, you know, you you'd lay your horses off, I guess, in November. Yeah, I mean that's what I that's what I believed in, and I think uh, I think it hurt me in the long run for getting new owners and stuff because after after I had wise Dan and successful Dan people started calling me about taking horses for them and then uh when November rolled around and I'd want to take them home and turn them out first thing they well what do you mean you're going to turn them out why wouldn't we go to Florida why wouldn't you go to New Orleans and and that's what I didn't you know that 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 was just me I didn't I, I didn't I, I thought if a horse ran seven or eight months out of the year he needed a couple of months off. Uh, I, you know, I read something somebody put on the Pollock Report the other day about horses lasting longer and staying sounder, and and I think that's a big that's a big plus is giving horses some time off. You know, they stay in those stalls 365 days a year, and they got to run. You know, and then they got to go on to here, there, and everywhere, and my philosophy and I think it's hurt me because most owners don't stand for that. They want them to run all the time. And, and that was my philosophy. And I was lucky enough to have owners that let me do that. And I think horses lasted longer because of it. Wasn't that common back in the day? Like I know uh, Woody Stevens skipped a breeder's cup juvenile with 49er. I think this was at 1987. He he said I think he didn't want to race his horses in November, and he would just lay them off and 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 send them maybe to wherever they go, South Carolina or Florida, and then bring them back. Is that that was was that an old school philosophy back in the day? That was the way they used to do it. That's that's what that's what I mean. If you look at Forgo, you look at Frank Whiteley, uh, you look at Woody Stevens, you look at. Uh, you look at the old racing stables, the green trees and the roca bees and, and, and all those those old time I say old time, old school owners, they they were they were back then it was a sport. Uh you know, people people that they were in the business to to race and a and a sport and so they wanted those horses down there. They went to Camden and they went to Aiken or maybe they went to wherever you know they had their own barns and they had their own turnout paddocks and 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 they knew that the best racing was spring summer and fall 
But nowadays, you got Oaklawn and you got uh, Fairgrounds and you got uh, Gulfstream and you get. Which they always had some Florida racing, but uh, the game's changed. It's it, it's evolved, and and you know, it, I was just lucky enough, and that's the philosophy that I took, and and I. I, I took a lot of pride in watching those horses go home in November and taking their shoes off and, and turn them out and let them be horses. But nowadays it's, it's, it's a business now. It's, it's, it's more of a business than it is a sport, I guess I should say. Right. So when you brought your horses back to the racetrack, uh, did they lose their fitness or how, how, uh, how quickly could you get them back into racing shape? You know, when you take a horse and you turn turn them out the end of November, uh, and we gave them December off and into January, then on the farm maybe we'd start them back jogging a little bit, and then we bring them back to Keeneland. And back in the day too, we had synthetic track at Keeneland, and I know that's a big thing. Everybody didn't like the poly track at Keeneland; they wanted to go back to dirt. But that was the biggest thing we could get. We could train those horses. Uh, at Keeneland and you know I get them back there in in the first of February well I could be breezing them like the last week in February 1st of March but now that it's gone back to dirt I mean you can't do that they don't open the main track at Keeneland to the middle of March yeah so you know it's very hard to get a horse to get to get a horse ready at a little five eighths of a synthetic track but I mean a lot of people didn't like poly track they you know they said you know, I, you know, they said they, they lost the bluegrass status because of it and the gamblers didn't like it. But uh, that was a big part of my success is that I was able to do stuff with them and have them ready to crack first of April with Keeneland. I mean, I could get wise damn ready to run the Maker's Mark mile off the layup. Nowadays, I could never do that there, you know, yeah. because you, just, you don't have a surface to train on. Speaking of synthetic, I know... Uh... I believe it was, yeah, 2013, I think. Wise Dan ran second in the Shadwell Turf Mile that was taken off the turf. Uh, As I recall, he broke from the outside. I think he broke from the 10 hole maybe that day, and he finished second. Silver Max beat him for Dale Romans. Uh, Wise Dan, I think the the public was down on the horse after losing that race, but – uh, what were your thoughts coming out of that race and going into the Breeders' Cup? Did you were you concerned maybe that the big guy lost a step or or what what uh, what were you thinking? Well, I kind of kicked myself a little bit for that, and then later Johnny and I talked about it, and I'll touch on that a little bit. Uh, you know, it there was a deluge at Keeneland uh, that right before that race. I think a half hour, forty five minutes before the race. I mean, the sky opened up and the water just, I mean, it just poured. Water was standing on that track. And I called Johnny and, and I said, Johnny, what do you think? I called him in the jocks room. He said, you know, Charlie, he said, if they if they take it off, he said, don't run them if it's on the turf. He said, because, it, you know, with the ultimate goal is the Breeders' Cup. So I talked it over with Mr. Fink and Mr. Fink said, well, you you know, we're here. And, you know, we, we all came to watch him and the fans were expecting to watch him run. So I really, it was my choice to run him or not run him. And I kicked it around and kicked it around and we ran him and I'm not taking anything away from the horse that beat us that day, but wise Dan, he didn't like it that much. I mean, he was kind of a horse that took care of himself, but Johnny 
later on, a couple of years later, we were at dinner one night and we kind of talked about that. And he said, well, he said, I got to tell you, he said, I probably got him beat that day. I said, what? He goes, I wouldn't let him run. He said he couldn't stand up on it. And I fought him going into the first turn. He really wanted to run. And I was trying to hold on to him, slow him down. He said, I probably should have let him go. He probably would have won the race. But Johnny said to me when we walked through the tunnel, he never told me that. I had my head down. The reporters were talking to me. And I had my head down, and Johnny put his arm around me. He said, don't worry, we'll win the British Cup. And that's all he said. Don't worry, we'll win the British Cup. And daggone if he wasn't right. But he never told me that, and I never told a lot of people that. (laughs) It was a a tough decision to make. And and if I had to do it over again, I probably would have scratched it that day just because of the way the track was. That's kind of like the Secretariat story of running in the Wood Memorial, and they found the, the abscess. In his uh, in his mouth uh, before the but two weeks before the derby. That's a pretty cool story, uh, uh, Mr. Lapresti. I, I have one more question for you. Just uh, not counting the Breeders' Cup victories, what is your favorite? What is the one victory that you earned that you're that you're most proud of outside of the Breeders' Cup? Well, yeah, I talk about that, and I told I told uh, Alan about the the race uh, when he came back from the colic surgery. Uh, that's the one that I'm probably the the most proudest of is that horse that came back from an injury like that or a surgery like that to to, to come back to that level was pretty impressive. But I tell you a story that'll always stick out. <clears throat> I get a little choked up when I tell this story, but I'll tell it anyway. We were at uh, we were at Woodbine, and it was the second Woodbine mile that he ran in, I believe. And we were at the barn, and a man came to the barn, and he said, uh, "Charlie, there's a girl, there's a lady here. She got a daughter. She's a big fan of Wise Dan's, and she would like to meet Wise Dan." And so I said, "Well, heck, bring her on over here. We'll let her come to the you know in the barn and see him." And the lady kind of dropped her head, and she never said anything. And uh, the man looked at me and said, well, his, her daughter's in a wheelchair. I said, well, where, where is she at? And he said, she's out there in the parking lot. So Reeve and I took him out there, and they wheeled this little girl out of a minivan in a wheelchair. And that horse, believe it or not, he drug us almost to that girl and put his head in her lap and the smile on her face. Anyway, that horse won that race, and they talked to me up in the director's room. They had a big party afterward and i told that story and i guess that's the most memorable race that meant a lot to me was when that happened to us up there at woodbine i thought that was pretty cool it wasn't about it was about that's the thing that a lot of people don't know about wise dan it's the kind of horse that he was how kind he was and how almost humid he was that's why this is the greatest sport in the world to me uh mr lapresti this is uh this has been an honor to talk to you uh, when I count off the horses that I actually get really, really nervous pre-race, I would, I would think going back to Sunday Silence, uh, Rachel Alexandra, Zenyatta, Wise Dan is on that list. Uh, that, that I absolutely look forward to, to him running. And, uh, man, I, I'm so happy to get a chance to talk to you tonight. This is, uh, this has been a great pleasure, but I'm going to turn it back over to Alan and Alan can finish this, uh, this up with you. Well, yeah, did all. I enjoy talking with you guys. Yeah, well, before we, co- I want to ask you a couple things real quick. And that story—it's gonna be hard to top that story you just told us. 
that was an amazing story up at Woodbine. Um, so, but before we, before we do let you go, you did mention, uh, Reeve McGahee. That's your nephew. We had him on a couple weeks ago and he was with you through a lot of the wise Dan era, right? He, uh, are we there? Yeah. 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 No, he, he he worked for me. Uh, Reeve worked for me for five years. Uh, he actually was with me every step of the way with the wise Dan. That maybe in his early, like his maiden year in the first year he wasn't, but then he came to work for me. Uh, he was with me. He was with me with Turalor, wise Dan, successful Dan. Uh, he worked for me for five years before he went to work for his dad. Uh, and I think he worked for his dad for four years after that. So, uh, yeah, he's put in his time, and uh, yeah, we're really proud of him, and 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 uh, hope he gets a wise Dan. Yeah, he's got he's got a bright future, doesn't he? Yeah, I I think he does. Reeve Reeve is uh, a very humble person. He's a hard worker. Uh, he's at the barn all the time, and he was that way when uh, when he worked for me. You know, when Wise Dan would win those big races, and I'd have to go off into the director's room and the press and everything. I never, I always wanted to be back at the barn to see how wise Dan was, but knowing that Reeve was there and I would text him, you know, periodically, is he cooling out? Okay. How's he doing? Uh, He was a big part of our success. I mean, he, you know, I couldn't have done it without him. I can tell you that. I mean, I probably could have done it, but it'd been a lot harder. Yeah. And speaking of someone you also couldn't have done it without, it's someone we've been remiss to mention. I know she's listening in is your wife, Amy. She's been a big part of your success too, hasn't she? Yeah. She has been a big part of my success. You know, she does, she, she, she takes care of all the, the little stuff. Uh, I say little stuff, the big stuff. She, she nurse wise Dan back to health and his colic surgery and successful Dan on his, Way up stuff, and and uh, was always there to support me and Reeve, and uh, she, uh, yeah, she she's a she's a big part of it, a very big part of it. I, she she's yeah, I couldn't have done it without her. I can tell you that. Yeah, we, we enjoyed meeting Amy earlier too. So hats off to her as well. And yeah, one last thing. Her. If it wasn't her, I wouldn't be talking to you guys because I couldn't figure out how to get this thing on the podcast. (laughs) Exactly. I wasn't going to mention it or whatever, but, uh, you know. Are you you mentioned? I told you I couldn't get on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. I damn sure couldn't do something like this. (laughs) You know, that's what people used to say all the time. Well, do you see what they said about Wise Dan on Twitter? I was like, I don't even know what Twitter is, for God's sake. (laughs) It's probably a good thing that you don't, to be honest with you. But, yeah, Amy did help putting this together, so hats off to Amy. So just one more success, one more helping hand she's lended you uh, there over the years, Mr. LaPresti. And I guess the last thing. Uh, you've mentioned that you know, Wise Dan is out there at your farm. For those who don't know, where is Wise Dan at right now? Well, Wise Dan is here at our farm on Athens Boonesboro Road. It's just outside of Lexington. Uh, and he and his brother, Successful Dan, are turned out together in, in a pasture. Uh, and they're doing just fine. They, you know, they're out there in that windstorm today eating hay blowing across the field. Uh, but, but they're doing good They're You know, they get a lot of, a lot of visitors, cancer survivors. They get awesome. a lot come to see them. They get postcards. They get Christmas gifts. Uh, Johnny and Leona Velasquez, every, just about every time they're here, 
in the spring or fall try to get by. I mean, there's some pictures of Johnny sitting on Wise Dan here in the stall. Uh, Jose Lascano, who's rode him several times, has come to see him. Uh, so, yeah, he they're living out their days, and they're having a good time, and, and they're, they're just enjoying being a horse, and that's what they, that's what they need to do. They've done everything that they, we've asked them to do. Yeah, well, that's fantastic to hear. I mean, I don't know if there's been a horse around these parts or even maybe nationally that has struck a chord the way Wise Dan has the last several years, uh, last several decades. Uh, he's, he's CC's favorite. He's my favorite. And I know we're not alone. There's a lot of people who feel the exact same way. So to echo what CC said, we truly appreciate you being on here. Uh, it's, it's one of the bucket list. Things that we've won on this podcast is that Charlie the Presti on. So we thank you. We thank Amy and we thank Wise Dane and all the great horses you put for us. So again, for the, from the both of us and our colleague Brandon, who you didn't get to meet tonight, uh, thank you for sincerely, Mr. Presti, for joining us. Well, come by and see us sometime and you can see Wise Dane is successful then. Well, you know what? That's where I was hitting at and I got the invite. So I'll be there. All right. You don't, you yeah. don't have to ask twice. No, 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 no. Come no. get you. You come get your picture taken with him, and I'll even let you hold him. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's a date. We we will be uh, seriously. That's we're not kidding. Cece and I will be there. Okay. All right, I'll hold you tight. All, right. All right. Thanks again. Thanks again, Charlie. Thanks again, Amy. All right. See ya. Well, looks like we can cross one off the bucket list as we had uh, Mr. Charlie Lepresti on just now. That was uh, that was that was a great time. I I very much appreciative he decided to join us tonight. Yeah, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be honest with you. Uh, we, we enjoy playing the horses, but CC and I and Brandon, we're fans of the game. We're fan, I'm fan, and I'm, I'm especially a fan of Kentucky horse racing. Uh, it's, it's my wheelhouse. So if, if we, if we go fanboy once in a while, we really don't give a rat's ass. Uh, we're going to do what we want to do. And having Mr. LaPresti on was, was at the top of that bucket list. I know it was for me. I know it was for CC. So. Can't think about having him on. He was fantastic, just as all the horses he trained were fantastic. So uh, if I'm effusive in my praise, that's because that's who I am, and that's because our guests deserve it. So thank you again, Mr. Will Presty. Were you at the – I think it was the firecracker that he won in the ring. Were you there? I'm trying to remember if I was there. I, uh, I think I saw I, – I, you know, I think I was at home that day. I think I didn't go because I knew of the rain. But, you know, of course, I remember, because I remember watching my living room, and it, it, the ring was coming down. I asked him about that, uh, as you know, and th- that picture, that picture's an iconic picture from that race. So I think the rain kept me away that evening. And, of course, the firecracker's now the wise Dan, as a matter of fact, which I yeah. failed to mention with him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, wow. Okay. Well, looking forward again to the weekend. We're, we'll talk about Turfway real quick. Uh looks like an eight-race card on Saturday. Featured is the 31st running of the Dust Commander Stakes. And I wish Brandon was here. I would ask him who Dust Commander is, but I'm sure you can answer that one. The Derby winner, right? What year? Uh, Dust Commander would be 60, mm, 71, 71. I think that 72. was Cannon Arrow. Dust Commander yeah, was 70. 70. That's Mike Manganello. Mike Manganello. Mike. Mike Manganello and Don Combs trained Dust Commander, and I don't yeah, think he did much uh, after that. But uh, you know, I, uh, it's funny when you're growing up. And again, I, as I've said all along, I'm I'm almost 52 years old. I was born in 1970, but when I went to I was going to Churchill Downs as a, as a younger lad, 
Mike Manganello was in the, I guess, the twilight of his career. And I didn't think he was much of a jockey. Just I'm some dumb kid. And so I knew he didn't win any races then. I didn't realize the guy was older. And you don't realize, you know what, their the history has happened before you came on, before you came on the scene. And it wasn't until several years later, this jockey, who I thought was not much of an account as a dumb 14-year-old kid or 18 or whatever I was, won the Kentucky Derby in 1970. Shows you what I know. Mike Manganiello won on Dust Commander back in 1970. And I believe Mr. Manganiello is still with us. That uh, every derby has a pretty cool story. There's some kind of tidbit about it. Uh, the I can't I can't remember the owner's name of Dust Commander, but I know he flew in the day of the race from a safari or some type of. <laughs> I think he was hunting lions in Africa, and he's like, "Hey, I got a horse in the derby. Let me fly to Kentucky from Africa." And I think he flew in the day of the race and watched it, and then flew back out. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't that big of a deal to him. But uh, Sounds like he has almost as much money as Brandon does. Right. That's exactly right. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, that a horse fell in that race, I believe. Uh, Holy Land, I think, was the name of the horse. It was, uh, it was a crazy derby, as I recall. I'm, I, may, I may be getting my derbies confused, but uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll revisit the 70 Kentucky Derby on a future podcast. But the Dust Commander is uh, mile 16th on the synthetic and you've got horses like spectacular Jim, uh beatbox from the Maury stable big dreaming enforceable pole setter mr dumbass is that <laughs> mr dumas i believe that's mr dumas <laughs> i like the way you pronounce it first uh, that's a shawshank redemption reference uh yeah fancy liquor that's you know it's a pretty good race i i would just I would probably lean toward either beatbox or big dreaming. Uh, big dreaming is a kind of a favorite of mine. Uh, I just wish they would send this horse to the lead and just see what he can do rather than, I, I think, uh, he ran at, uh, fairgrounds last time on the turf. Yeah. He's the actually entered in the mine shaft. He may go in the mine shaft. This oh, week. there you go. I, I just want him on the lead. I want him on yeah. the lead. That's, that's where he'll, he'll do his best running. But, uh, uh beatbox is, beatbox is William Morey. William Morey's horses. I, you know, everybody, we talked about it a little bit on here, and so they are running lights out of turf, boy. I mean, they're sharp as hell. This is last week. I mean, the, the horses look good doing it. A visitant and uh, Marissa's Lady. A beatbox is in great form, too. So William Morey has not started a lot of horses, but he's a he's a bit of a, a turf boy monster right now. And so I wouldn't be surprised if beatbox ran really well. By the way, I, I should thank uh, Jeff, ChartingHorseValue.com. He had me on his uh, stream, live stream last week to discuss some turfway. So I did appreciate that, and maybe we'll have Jeff on in the future. And we discussed turfway, and it was a lot of fun. So maybe we'll uh, reciprocate that down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of big races coming up. So uh, we gotta, it's going to get fun here shortly. It really uh, is. As the, as the warmer weather starts to roll in, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because it's been a cold winter. Yes, it has. All right. So let's wrap it up here. Uh, thanks to our guest, Charlie Lepresti, the trainer of the legendary Wise Dan and many other stakes winners. On behalf of Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, who's absent, CC brought us, reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.